Hi, welcome to season four of the Aced It podcast, where we translate science into sense. So you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read a lengthy journal article or report. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, coming to you from Sam Houston State University in Texas, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. Aced It is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Virginia. For more information, check out our website, jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. In January 2020, word of a deadly virus out of China began making the news. By mid-March, much of the United States was shutting down. Companies sent employees home, students switched to virtual, churches closed, restaurants shut their doors. And many of those working in the public health space understood immediately that healthcare delivery and public health interventions had fundamentally changed. Having worked in the HIV field, Dr. Sean Young and John Schneider were familiar with the history, the potential, and the barriers to using technologies such as telemedicine, social media, mobile applications, and biosensors or wearables. And they went to work drafting a publication to help others who may find themselves in this unfamiliar territory. In their paper, they advised clinicians and researchers to integrate several of these technologies and cautioned would-be users on potential issues to address before implementing these systems, including ethical use and considering patient risk, patient engagement, costs, and staffing requirements. They advised researchers to study the issue from an implementation science perspective, including investigating telemedicine effectiveness, feasibility, acceptability, and the ways in which these things may change based on different context. And they left us with a larger perspective, saying, quote, COVID-19 will continue to impact the way that technologies are integrated into HIV clinical care and research long after the removal of social distancing policies, making it important to begin investing in the knowledge, infrastructure, and implementation of these technologies now to be prepared for the future, unquote. Young and Schneider published their note in May of 2020. At the time of this recording, we are more than two years later in the COVID pandemic, and just as they predicted, the use of telemedicine has grown exponentially. The COVID-19 public health emergency led to an immediate cascade in relaxing laws, regulations, and policies to enable ongoing treatment, and this included expanding the role of telemedicine. And researchers have not lost the opportunity to study the phenomenon as it unfolds. Again, we visit the state of Rhode Island, whose comprehensive medications for opioid use disorder program provides a wellspring of rich data from which to study all manner of things related to MOUD. Today, we'll look at three studies on telemedicine from the scholars and practitioners working on the Rhode Island project. Kodak Behavioral Healthcare Incorporated is the largest outpatient opioid treatment organization in the state of Rhode Island. Transitioned from in-prison to a virtual platform, and as they did, they wondered how this new format would impact the all-important therapeutic relationship between clinicians and patients. So they partnered with Brown University to conduct patient satisfaction surveys to explore their perspectives on telephone counseling. The aim of paper one was to examine the results of the open-ended survey questions. 
So questions in which the respondents wrote their own answers rather than choosing a number, say between one and five, for example. So this study was one little part of a larger study. The open-ended questions asked about five things, satisfaction, convenience, relationship with their counselor, substance use recovery, and general feedback. For several months, patients were asked during their routine clinical visit if they would be interested in completing a survey about their experience with telemedicine. If they agreed, they received a link via text or received a paper version in person. About 16%, or 237 people, agreed and participated. For this study, the researchers went through the written responses to the larger survey and coded them as either positive or negative in two overall categories. The respondent either said something positive or negative related to the therapeutic relationship or something positive or negative related to personal level factors. And within each of these two broad categories, there were specific subcategories that related to exactly what people liked or didn't like. There were also some people who were neutral, stating that they didn't see any difference between in-person or virtual sessions. So the research team used these codes to put people into one of two buckets. If their responses were consistently positive, they were put into the positive valence bucket. If their responses were consistently negative, neutral, or mixed, they were put into the negative valence bucket. At the end, 78% or 184 people were in the positive bucket, while 22% or 53% were in the negative or mixed bucket. Convenience was the most noted positive factor, followed by feelings of being supported by their counselor, and many felt it provided a sense of safety. Those who had a negative experience most often noted the impersonal nature of the experience or a general dissatisfaction with their counselor. Taken together, the results show that for many, Telephone counseling fostered a sense of convenience, support, and comfort in terms of discussing one's substance use recovery, all of which may contribute to an improved therapeutic alliance and increase the likelihood that a person stays engaged in treatment in the long term. The authors surmise that perhaps telephone counseling for MOUD could be a viable way to increase treatment access and engagement, but caution that future efforts to integrate various telehealth approaches should examine, attempt to explain, and proactively mitigate negative patient experiences and potential barriers. Some patients found the experience impersonal, which has been shown to reduce treatment engagement and weaken the therapeutic alliance between patient and provider. In a second study, the researchers analyzed the same survey from the counselor's perspectives. And unlike the previous study, this effort used both quantitative and qualitative approaches to examine counselors' experiences. The survey examined the experiences of counselors from seven opioid treatment program clinics across Rhode Island who had provided OUD counseling services at least once a month to their clients. 42 counselors completed the online survey, which contained the same open-ended questions as the patients. It also asked the counselors to rate how much of a certain kind of problem was addressed in telephone counseling as compared to -to face-to-face, less, the same, or more. They rated five problems, anxiety, depression, anger, substance use, and recovery. They also rated which was better in terms of comfort, convenience, and relationship with patients. 
About two-thirds of the clinicians reported that telephone counseling addressed patient substance use either the same or to a greater extent that in-person counseling did. And while the numbers varied, in no problem area did the majority of respondents report that a person was better than in telephone. When it came to comparing telephone to in-person in the areas of comfort and convenience, a minority favored in-person, while the majority found them equal or favored the telephone. And less than 10% reported that their relationship with their client had worsened during telephone counseling. When the researchers coded the open-ended questions, they saw similarities with the patient survey responses, particularly when it came to the power of convenience. Half of the counselors reported telephone counseling to be more convenient and more flexible, not just to them, but to their patients as well. It was the most often cited positive aspect to telephone counseling. They appreciated that they had improved their access to clients, and some noted that there seemed to be greater client engagement, accountability, and compliance. A third of the counselors noted that it improved their therapeutic relationship with their clients after transitioning to telephone counseling. Despite the support, there were clinicians who reported negative perceptions of telephone counseling, and woe unto us if we don't acknowledge and learn from these barriers. The most commonly cited negative aspect of telephone counseling from the qualitative responses was an impersonal experience, which hinders efforts to build rapport or observe nonverbal cues. Such behavior may also limit the discussion of sensitive topics like depression, anxiety, and anger. The survey also unearthed a slew of logistical barriers to implementation. For example, some counselors experienced issues with off-site access to the electronic medical record system and reported that some patients had trouble accessing the appropriate technology to complete sessions virtually. The last, third, study puts a laser focus on the barriers experienced by patients. Remember those 264 patients who had completed the survey? The research team went back to those surveys and decided to look at only the 83 people who reported one or more barriers to telephone counseling. They found that the three top listed reasons included lack of privacy when talking on a call, not having a stable phone, computer, or tablet, and a preference for traditional office visits. Each of these have implications for who might be most affected and ways to mitigate these problems. For example, privacy is likely to be a concern, especially with those who live in a multifamily home with no privacy, who may tend to also be low income. Hopefully, this podcast has helped you think about implementing telemedicine or sparked ideas to study telemedicine. These three studies help provide a window into the promise of telehealth and caution us to understand its limitations. That wraps another episode of the Aced It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also, remember you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language and short knowledge bursts, which are 30-second overviews for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.gmuace.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here, and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. ACED is part of the NIDA-funded Justice Community 
Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. Tune in again for more science and more sense with ACE. 